0: G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. In Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the stories of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that, when they go from zero to one, really do change the world. And not just the startups, but the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. So come along the journey, which continues with our first news special of Series 10. We've just had a new federal budget that signals some big changes for startups. Our expert panel will take a look at what that means and how startups can make the most of the government's cash splash. That's coming up on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by OurCrowd. OurCrowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them, too. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash Twista. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by UserTesting. With UserTesting, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com twista for a free trial. User testing, real human insight. Welcome to our first news special for Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. And it is great for me to welcome back our first panelist, Cheryl Mack. Cheryl wears a few hats. She's an investor, a founder, a mentor, an advisor. Most importantly, Cheryl is a startup champion. Cheryl is the CEO of Aussie Angels and on a mission to democratize investing in Australia and New Zealand. Cheryl, welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So- The last time I saw you face to face, you were just completely going mad about how much you had learned about how to set up investment syndicates in Australia as part of your mission to democratize investment. So can you tell us a little bit about how a syndicate works and what it takes to set one up?
1: Yes. So it actually takes a lot more than I thought it would, because uh, I started angel investing a number of years ago, and some of my friends wanted to invest with me, and I thought, yeah, great. That should be easy enough, right? We'll pool our checks together, community capital being you know, invested in startups. How hard could that really be? Turns out it's actually quite hard. Uh, there are a lot of steps if you want to set up an angel syndicate in Australia, uh, not least of which is um, shelling out... Thousands of dollars on the financial structures and AFSL, getting the insurance that you need. So I, what we did with Aussie Angels is we we took that and we said, well, I you may I said if I'm going to build it for me, I may as well build it for everyone else. And so now, if you don't want to spend all of that time, money, and effort to do it,
0: oh, but I do. <laughs> sign me up,
1: right? <laughs> We can help you pool investor capital together. So if you want to invest with your friends as one entity on the startup's cap table, which is much more founder friendly, then you can bring it to us and we'll help you do that.
0: So is that also a way if you are, if you don't have enough capital to be a sophisticated investor, is that a way that you can invest in a startup without getting ASIC all crazy about that?
1: Unfortunately, no, not at the moment.
0: So you still need to be a sophisticated investor to be able to do that. Yes. All right. And the that's what, a $2 million in assets? So you need to
1: have uh, one of either $2.5 million in net assets or make 250000 each year for the last two years in gross income. Okay.
0: All right. So they get one this wonderful information at what's the URL?
1: AussieAngels.com. All right. Thank you so much. And...
0: Joining Cheryl for this Twisted News special is Main Sequence Ventures general partner, Rescue Mike Nichols.
2: Welcome back, Mike. Thank you, Mark. Great to see you again. Happy New Year and fantastic, Cheryl. I feel like you're becoming the the Namael Ravikant of Australia's angel scene. I think that's awesome.
1: That is the most flattering thing anyone has said to me this year.
2: I think Ah. that's fantastic you're putting it together. So,
0: between the time we saw you, which was around this time last year and now, you have raised a big new round for
2: main sequence ventures. Jeez, how much has happened in the last year? Um, so we we closed Fund2, but to be fair, Fund2 was sort of announced over 12 months ago now. I think we first started investing from Fund2 in maybe December 2000 2020, um, we subsequently close uh, a large amount thereafter. I think in total with all the follow-on funds, it may be somewhere in the range of $330, 340000000 on top of the original amount. So a third um, of
0: a billion dollars.
2: Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, but in addition to that, we were recently um, advised uh, via the, the government and part of the budgetary announcements that there is a certain allocation of cash coming to us as well for the next fund. Um, so, fund three? Yeah, correct. And how much is that going to be? How much do they think is that, uh, the government's going to come in? I for? can't give you the exact numbers, but it's in the, the, over a period of two funds, it'll probably be in the, the 100 to 150 range.
0: Wow. Okay, so that's really the government also. The, the
2: allocations are being sort of worked out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll be part of the announceables in the forthcoming election and all of that. Uh,
2: it, part <laughs> of it was announced in the budget, yeah. but just the finer details are still to be worked out.
0: All right. Folks, let's dive right in. Topic one, and again, we're coming now right back to this idea of the budget. So there were some things in the budget that, and the associated legislation around the budget that are really good. So according to the AFR, I'm going to quote them, right? Australian startups have been operating under a regulatory straitjacket, unable to offer meaningful equity incentives. And we know this because essentially what would happen is you'd give someone yeah, stock options and they'd immediately be taxed on that. So they're disincentivized from getting an option. So The AFR goes on to say, for the first time, startups will be able to offer meaningful equity incentives for all employees, not just for the people who are willing to take the huge cash hit. So employees at all levels will be able to obtain an unlimited number of shares with unlimited underlying value as long as certain safeguards are met. And now this has been a problem, I think, since the Abbott government. 2014, I think, is when these rules started to go sour. Fixing the share schemes for employees, it feels like a huge win. Will it change things?
1: I think it will change things in the right direction. Will it fix everything? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no I mean, but that's a big ask too.
1: That is a big ask. But yes, it, it will absolutely help.
2: Mike? Well, look, I think I think to clarify, so we've got – I think the the two terms, key terms were $30,000 per participant per year – accruable for unexercised options for up to five years. And then the second leg of that was any amount which would enable them to immediately take advantage of a planned sale or listing. So um, I don't know that you can do unlimited for anybody unless they satisfy that requirement. But is it a positive thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're in a global war for talent at the moment. Um, In December and February... Australia work more hours than it's ever worked before. We are at sort of almost structural unemployment rate. Is you know, historically it has been low in the past but not very many times and um, we have to be able to do what we have to do to attract foreign talent and to keep our talent here. So, yeah, it's
1: absolutely a positive
0: for startups. In America, you have Apple handing its engineers $200,000 just so they don't walk out the door. Oh,
1: yeah, and each year their options go up as well.
0: Yeah. So we've had – I mean we have a model of a very rich options structure and very rich options culture that we haven't been able to offer here. It has – I mean it clearly has prevented us from getting global talent. Has it really prevented us from retaining really talented local people because they will always get a better offer that will include a better equity deal?
1: I think it's gotten tougher in the last two years because Australia's value was the lifestyle and the beaches and you want to live on the surf and so you want to stay here. So if you had to work in an office and that was a strong pull, then that you would stay here for that. Now – you can work for any company globally while still having the lifestyle. So I, I've seen a lot of people who have said, well, you know what? I can I can get a job at, you know, uh, somewhere in the U.S. and still work here and get all of those options. So I think we, it's actually had the opposite effect over the last two years.
0: All right. So this is really, in a sense, even if it doesn't do so perfectly, it will start to even the scales. I hope so. I think it's very great step forward.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So – Topic two. And this one, I think, Mike, is probably something you're gonna be across. The idea of a patent box. Yeah. And that a patent box is now uh, people have been arguing for a patent box for basically all startups, but mm-hmm. this one that the government has announced is specifically for ag tech. You have ag tech companies in the portfolio at Main Sequence. Take us through what a patent um what this lockbox is and what it means for a startup?
2: Yeah, so essentially what a patent box does is um, offer a concessional rate of taxation for uh, income coming out of innovations that fit inside of that patent box. So uh, last year's budget introduced a new patent box for medical um, uh, technology. Uh, This one has introduced uh, a patent box for ag tech and there was one other which is not coming to mind right now um, uh, decarbonisation technology, so um, renewable energy recycling and so on. Uh, those are in line with the government's national manufacturing uh, priorities. So it very well fits their roadblocks um, or their roadmap should I say. Um, the only thing about them is that they do take a while to kick into play because they're not backwards looking. They're typically from IP that was developed going forward, which means that in, especially in med tech for example, it may be five, seven years before you start to get profits right. from those. So, hopefully, they will be an important incentive, incentive going forward. Probably going to be a while before the rubber hits the road on them actually, you know, um, resulting in meaningful savings for companies. And so there. And. Was this a decision the government took to make it not look like, well, any, anything you've
0: patented in the last five years would also be covered? Or is that, was that just sort of a dangerous deci- call to make?
2: Uh, look, I think it would be reasonable if they made that decision. I'm not aware that they did make that decision. I think it's only forward-looking. Um, and But uh, to be frank, I haven't read the very latest detail in the latest patent boxes, but the last one wasn't forward-looking. I mean, the challenge is a lot of this stuff may have been in... Development for five or ten years. And so, you know, which bit, when you actually, you know, say, I want to claim part of a patent box, well, the, the pre today um, uh, IP isn't going to be eligible, but maybe some future IP that you developed may be eligible. Somehow you have to break that down. Look, I think it's a positive. It's just going to take a while to work its way through the system.
0: Cheryl, when you're looking at a company that claims that it has. Patents, but the thing is, at an angel stage, they may only be provisional or all those other things. How do you, as, in, as a potential investor, actually sort of peek under the hood around that?
1: Well, first thing to note is that I'm not investing in deep tech, uh, so it's unlikely that a startup that I'm looking at is going to have a patent. Uh, and the ones that do if they're in, like, the space that I invest in, which is typically, like, SaaS, B2B. Um, if they do, I, I tend to not put a, put a lot of weight on that other than to maybe ask, like, how much did you spend on trying to get that? And if it's a exorbitant number and I feel like that might not have been necessary uh, and they maybe should have spent that on actually scaling the company, then that could be a negative for them. But, no, I'm not looking at, at patents. I don't invest in that category. Yeah, I and- trust people like Mike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, but it's exactly it there are business process patents, right? There was the famous one-click patent that Amazon had. and they're, they're, but, but you're absolutely right. M- a lot of what we do in technology is much more getting to market and product market fit-based than it is technology-based. All right. The one last thing that I want to talk about that was in the budget was the accelerated write-off of assets, Right. And so assets are now written off at 120% of their value if they're digital assets. So if you're buying computers, infrastructure, the things that startups actually do buy. Do we think that that is going to be a game changer? I mean, it doesn't feel like startups don't get access to the equipment because they can't afford it, right?
1: I don't think that's a limiting factor in starting a company. Uh, like most people can start a company with just their laptop and they're not going to need to write one off to start it. So it, – I mean, it's good, great, but I don't think that's a game changer.
2: I think it's probably more important for SMEs um, and definitely important for them and encourages them to spend more money um, technology and, and software and, and so on. So does that then
0: mean that for a company like say Xero or MYOB, this is actually really good? Because I think every it would one be, of those yeah, companies. Yeah. 100 oh, yeah, percent, yes. Every one of those companies, SMEs that are getting more digital would then end up buying. So if you are making SaaS tools for SMEs in Australia.
1: Very good thing.
0: That's a very good thing. All right, you're listening to this week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with their Zendesk for Startups program. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit zendesk.com slash twista. And we're back with Twister's first new special for Series 10 with Cheryl Mack and Mike Nicholson. Now, Mike, during the break, you were looking up some details on patent boxes. Yeah, as I'm
2: to do, reading the budget papers. Um, it turns out that the, um, the patent needs merely to have been granted after um, 29th of March 2022, which means it may have been lodged two, three, five years ago and will still be eligible. So that's good news. And I mean,
0: you're, you're close to this because you have a lot of companies in your portfolio that are applying for patents. That's right. How long does it take? I mean, is that the window? It's sort of two to five years? Yeah, years? I mean,
2: it could be could be earlier, but it, you know, you could ask for an expedited situation, but um, normally it's, it's going to be a couple of years. All right, okay.
0: Next topic, deals, deals, deals. So this is lovely State of Startup Funding 2021 report that came out a few weeks ago. There are some highlights, right? Total investments in Australian startups passed $10 billion last year. Overseas investors were involved in one quarter of all deals. And finally, Cheryl will be very happy to hear this. Angel investing is finally hitting its stride in Australia. And the thing is, because I remember when Jason Calacanis was coming here with the launch conference, he'd have his Angel University Day. He'd have a room full of people who just didn't know how to do it, and he was taking them through the basics. And it became clear that there was a real gap here, as, as Cheryl, as you've learned. All right. Now, we also know from the AFR that they reported that startups got $3.6 billion in investment during Q1 this year, which means it sounds like we're on track to sort of a $15 billion if we keep that rate up. What do we reckon? What's going on here? Are we actually on fire? <laughs>
2: you should. Off you go.
1: <laughs> That was really good for those of you who, who couldn't see what <laughs> happened in, in the room here. Other. Mike no, and I just looked answer? at each other with a, that kind of – yeah, that that face. Well, we need I, to get to video. Yes, we yeah, do. We, we should do. go to videos. Turn the video on, Mark. Some of Mark. Okay. So, yes, I, I mean, I think things are absolutely heating up in Australia in particular. I think overseas investors are taking notice and starting to put checks here, and that's what we saw over the course of last year and, at a much higher rate. Uh, and we're seeing like especially in the earlier half of last year, there was a lot uh like increased valuations. There's debate now as to whether that's pulling back or maybe not so much debate. I think there is consensus that it's probably pulling back. But what does that really mean, right? Like, is is the acceleration pulling back or are we actually seeing deflated valuations? Because I'm not sure that I'm seeing that yet. I But they do say there's a delay from the you know the public markets and the private markets and overseas, then Australia, then like I'm lowly down here at the angel checks. So, um, yeah, but no, absolutely heating up.
2: Uh, yeah, just to confirm, heating up, I think you're probably right, I think, with the uh, back-off on the NASDAQ and and the New York Stock Exchange coming down, some of those big tech companies are sort of anywhere from 10 to 50% off their highs. Having said that, their five-year average, they're still well above that. They're just not the stratospheric peak that they were at. Um, Definitely, we saw a lot of pressure on price in the last two years. That literally doubled in some cases on valuations in the last two years. In the last quarter, we saw overseas investors coming in and poaching deals at Inflated multiples. Um, So buying their way in, basically. Buying their way in, basically. But you know what's
1: interesting on that is that for them, you ask them and they're like, yeah, no, that's cheap. It's like for us, it's multiples on multiples and they're like, no, that was still a steal. It is all
2: relative. You're right. I mean, you know, it's easy to say it's cheap, but then, wait a minute, super early stage tech company that maybe just sort of has a prototype, not a product yet, and is just getting into market. That's still got a long way oh, to go. Oh, yeah. percent <laughs> so, I think we're
1: seeing a bigger disparity, right? Like a, the, the gap is getting wider. The yeah. hot deals are going higher. The ones that have traction are going higher, higher. The ones that are not quite there or not considered hot deals are falling behind in terms of they're not accelerating at the same pace.
2: I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm expecting it to back off on valuations a bit, um, but there's still an enormous amount of venture capital money around the world that's sitting there as dry powder ready to fire. And that isn't going away. And what's also happening is large players like the Tiger Globals of the world are actually coming down into earlier rounds and starting to feed into the Series A. Which is, but the thing is, it's weird because you think of,
0: so Tiger Global for, for the listeners, is I think it's a Singapore-based fund, is that right? No, I think
2: it's a US, no, US hedge fund. Yeah. Oh, it's US, okay. Yeah, originally a hedge fund, but now playing in venture. But-
0: Massive and coming in for often hundreds of millions of dollars in sort of Series C and mezzanine rounds and in a, two days unholy yeah. amounts yeah. of money unholy <laughs> amounts of money in two days in two days yeah. right <laughs> and so all of my VC friends have been like oh my god Tiger right
1: the deals are speeding up it's a good thing
0: but the thing is is that to think then that they're going to take I mean, if it's an if it's a seed round or an A round they're going to be putting two million dollars in not two hundred million and they're it still means they going can write
1: it to they're
0: it faster <laughs> but. Presumably, they're still going to need to have someone keeping an eye on that, maybe sitting on the... I mean, it's like, that doesn't scale in the same way. Yeah. No,
1: but they, they, they do have seed teams, like these are the types of companies that spend millions of dollars on Bain and McKinsey, like they, they can spin up a seed team tomorrow if they wanted to and say, great, y- you guys go find seed deals now.
0: So as my dad always taught me, if you can throw money at it, it's not actually a problem.
2: I mean, I think in my, in my mind, I, I have great admiration for how they have managed to make the process of investing far more efficient. Um, so they have massively shortened the time it takes for them to reach a decision Two partners can reach a decision and they can do it in a couple of days, but they get to that point because they do a lot of pre-research on the sectors they want to play in, and then when they've done all that pre-research, the companies become fairly obvious. And so in a lot of cases, they've condensed that time to actually do an investment down to literally a week or so. And so that's actually attractive to founders. And so we're actually looking at it and saying, how can we make our deal flow process far more efficient? How can we get through and do DD? Still get the same quality of decision, but be able to do that much faster. And we've done a whole bunch of work on developing software that helps us actually do that now. So,
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah. I'll give you a code name, Dyson. <laughs> Dyson. <laughs> Dyson,
1: like the vacuum? Yeah. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Did <so laughs> I see it?
0: There's another report Absolutely. from Pitchbook, which says that the rush into VC investing, all this money we're talking about, has resulted in a shift to founder friendly terms. Do you think that we're starting to see this? Or, I mean, are we getting to a point in Australia where founders are able to call maybe more shots than they used to?
1: I think I maybe take a little bit of issue around the way that you framed the. We're going towards founder friendly terms. I wouldn't say that on average Australia hasn't been founder friendly for the last say five years. The standardisation of documents across the board has really helped, and and that happened what five six uh, at least yeah.
2: Yeah. It, yeah yeah
1: yeah enough years ago. Yeah, we that had those
0: folks on the show when they when the documents yeah, set came out exactly.
1: That's right. So I think that's probably that had a greater shift towards founder friendly terms. Now. Uh, I think terms are different from the founder-friendly process, uh, which Mike was just talking about around like how quickly can we get through – how how efficiently and how founder-friendly can we get through the DD process. And I think that's probably what's going to have a slightly better impact there.
0: And so, in fact, if you are not wasting the founder's very limited time because you have pre-qualified him for the loan, as it were or, – or or, I'm sorry, very much, and we will come to that <laughs> you, in the next segment – Um, we've pre-qualified them for the loan, then you're really helping everyone. You're helping not just the firm, but you're also helping the founder because by the time the money comes, they're like, oh, actually, yes, you understand what we do. Let's do the deal. All right.
1: Also, it's not a loan.
0: (laughs) It's true. Topic four, valuation and employment Inflation. All right. So we are seeing the highest rates of inflation that Australia's startup community, such as it is, which goes back sort of 15 ish years, highest rates in that period of time. RBA just this week moved from its dovish position, said we're probably going to go to a tenth of percent raise in June. They didn't change anything, They just
2: signaled it. <laughs> they,
0: which is what you do with the markets. Because yeah, you yeah, don't sure. want and them to, the to lose their minds. Now, we all know if we've been to a supermarket lately or bought petrol, prices are higher and you can't buy spare parts and you can't hire someone. There are lots of dollars chasing fewer goods and fewer workers. What does that change for the way a startup operates?
1: I mean, I can start with just like an example. One of my portfolio companies called me up the the other day and said, hey, uh, you know, we we raised our plan was to get to this point and the money was going to take us to that and slightly past. my staff costs have gone up by 30%. I've had to uh, –
0: So runway got shorter.
1: Yeah. Like a staff across the board from like new hires to retaining the current ones to just increases to make sure people are happy and feel that they're at market rate. Like across the board, this is a company of like 30 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> across the board, 30% is huge. She goes, what, what do I do? I didn't have the answer. You've got
2: no option. You've got to pay up, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, there no, is she, no option. You have to pay more, up, which like... means you have to find the money yeah. to do that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, to further into that, we, we have a – it's not just us. The U.S. has got this challenge as well. But we have a major talent challenge at the moment. Um, and I will sort of break down some numbers as to why. Um, looking at how many students start and finish universities um, in computer science, for example, There's roughly 50,000 start, half of those are usually on on historical basis, half of those are usually overseas students, the other half are Australian, but then something like 15 to 20,000 actually uh, graduate. In the last eight or nine months, the top tech companies in Australia and the top foreign subsidiaries of tech companies in Australia have pretty well announced hiring plans to hire that whole cohort. (laughs) You know, the... Total aggregate between Canva, Atlassian, Microsoft, Salesforce, Google. And CBA. And, and, and that that's not banks. even that taken into included. account the, yeah. the, the, the industrial companies of Australia. They've taken that 15,000, you know, 15,000 to 20,000 plus. We're seeing it, you know, we've got 40 plus companies now. We're seeing this problem acutely in real time. Um, application rates are down. It's harder to get people. You're paying more for them. Um, and we're seeing people trying to knock people off. Um, luckily, at the moment, we're not losing many people, but it, it's out there. And we did hear it, it didn't actually directly affect us, but a, um, a US subsidiary of a company came in and knocked off something like 30 out of 35 um, people out of an R&D group um, Oops. in a particular hardware space. As I say, it didn't affect us, but it was right next door. Um, in the last six months.
0: So, okay, so we do have this fact that the inflationary slash tight labor environment are both colluding together to make, in a sense, staffing is now a top priority. I mean, it's always a good priority for a startup, but it's like it is now a serious pain point for a startup. Mm -hmm. All right, if you're an investor and you're investing in companies in this high inflationary tight labor environment, how do you view these companies, these potential investments differently? How does that change your point
2: of view? Uh, I mean I think obviously you want to try to get scalable businesses but the reality is you know, that, uh, don't that scale exponentially while the labor force scales linearly but the reality is, is that at the early stage it's really hard to see that you're sure you're going to have to pay up. You're probably going to have to um, fund the companies more than you might thought you were going to. Um, that, that's the reality, right? And you have to... In my mind, we have to be a talent aggregator. We have to find talent. Well, you're constantly posting to LinkedIn, hey, these are the jobs you, that are you know, open at that, the That takes up companies. a lot of my time yeah. is trying to find talent for our companies. I even built a tool, the tool that we spoke about before, which actually does that as well. Um, so the reality is is that um, talent, the ability to help provide companies talent is a competitive advantage mm-hmm. to the companies. And so, yeah, we're, we're putting a lot of effort into that, into that space. Uh, Cheryl, have you ever,
0: so I guess, run the ruler over what the projections are for a firm and said, actually, as far as we're concerned, you're going to need 30% or 50% more capital than you're indicating here to solve that.
1: I don't know if I've ever specifically told a founder that. Uh, (laughs) I think I've had conversations with founders around their capitalization needs and asked them questions to really dig deep into whether that's the right number or not. Uh, So that's
0: the roundabout way of asking the question. Okay, good. (laughs)
1: Kind of, yes, but like, I mean, it's not like it's front of mind being like, that's not the big, that's not a big enough number. I know investors who do that. They'll just be like, no, you need to raise more money. And I think, yeah, probably, that's probably Mike. Um,
2: I I used to be that blunt, but I'm probably not so much now.
1: (laughs) Maybe I should be a bit more blunt. Uh, But I would say also like just in answer to your other question, one of the things I'm looking at a lot harder now is do I think that this founder is going to be somebody that is going to attract talent in this market? (sighs) Because it's not a matter of just like, hey, this is a cool product and put a job ad out and like people will come to it. It's is this the person that's going to sell the vision to the next 5, 10, 20 people Mm. that Because that's what's going to keep people engaged at this point, as long as you meet a certain salary that's more competitive.
0: And I mean, we have uh, in a forthcoming episode Cam Adams at Canva, and he was very much around the fact that the company's vision is one of the things that's allowing them to attract talent in this market. All right, you're listening to the Twisted News special, and we will be right back. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, including Australia, where startups brought in a record $4.2 billion in investments. Our crowd identifies those companies with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine, to cybersecurity, to robotics, quantum computing, and more, Our crowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, early. Our crowd is the fastest-growing venture capital investment community. Sophisticated investors have already invested over $2 billion in growing tech companies. And our crowd has skin in the game. They invest in their portfolio companies and use their extensive networks to help those startups succeed. As a sophisticated investor, you can truly diversify your portfolio with early investments in innovative private market companies at OurCrowd. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash twista. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. back for the final segment of Twista's first news special for Series 10. Joining me are angel investor extraordinaire Cheryl Mack and Maine Sequence Ventures general partner Rescue Mike Nichols. All right, topic five, underrepresented or doing just fine. So are female founders finally getting their due? 25% of VC funding in 2021 went to female-led firms, which, you know, that's
2: not bad, is it? It's better than what it was, but it's true not good enough. Which was not much. Yeah. It's
1: definitely better. Uh, do we still need to, like, are we fine? No. Do we still need to keep working at it? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? It, it's better, but not good enough.
1: Exactly.
0: So we have New South Wales announcing a $10 million fund to boost to female founders, which is, I think, going to be really good. We did see that A lot of the money that was flowing out of the startup report in 2021 was clearly starting to flow into female founders. Are we seeing enough, I guess, deal flow? Is that the place where we need to really start to work on it, that the pipeline actually needs to start to get to some sort of equity? And then how do we do that?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think, yes. The answer is, do, do we need to increase the pipeline of female founders that are pitching to get investment? Absolutely. How do we do that? I think if we tackle it from the same perspective that we have been somewhat moderately successfully tackling the issue of gender diversity in hiring, we we could we could move the bar there. Uh, things like making sure that you're looking at companies across the board and even like in industries that may be slightly adjacent to your thesis but may attract more women um, and making sure that, you're being a bit more accessible and open to, say, cold reach outs. Uh, women tend to have smaller networks, particularly if they've had a child in the last two years. And, you know, when you have your mates being like, hey, we only take warm intros, of course, you know, you're going to get. Ten of them. I'm I'm a perpetrator as well. Um, in terms of the warm intro there, so I should I should practice what do, I preach. Do you
2: only do warm intros?
1: No, I I provide warm intros, oh, okay, but I also great, tell great. I tell female founders like you come talk to me. I will make For the sure. warm intro. Yeah. Um, but I also I, I do think firms should be more open to to the cold reach out. Um, and spend a bit more time looking at ones that are coming from female founders because they do tend to have smaller networks. But if you're a female founder, come talk to me. I will make the warm intros.
2: So to be clear, um, our all our messaging channels are open. Nobody needs a warm intro or anything to that effect, and it's always been that way, but we just have to keep reinforcing that message. Um, I mean, I'll just say to you that last investment committee meeting, actually, sorry, we just had one Friday, but the one before that, three out of four investment decisions that we made had women founders, which is fantastic. It's the first time that it's gone the other way and had more women founders than, than male founders. Um But for every sort of one-woman founder that pitches us unsolicited, so it didn't come via our network, but came in unsolicited, there's like 10 guys that are pitching at the same time. Um, In every deep tech segment we work, except for life science, the graduation rate and the senior researchers in that space are overwhelmingly male at all levels. We literally have to stand on the scales, which we do, to try to make sure that we get as many female founders as we can. We've added more women to our team. We've got three out of our four latest hires have been women in the investment team. Um, So we're trying to make it more women friendly, more female friendly. What's your
1: IC table ratio? Sorry? Your IC table ratio. Uh,
2: Who's on the IC? Uh, Both our external members on the IC are women, Um, very well, high-prominent, very well-known women. Um, One of them, one of the best, uh, Alison Dean, one of the best corporate minds in the business. Um, and so, yeah, the rest are obviously part of the investment team. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing what we can do to balance that. And then on top of that, we've got researcher office hours, which anybody can come to. It's open. It's like book a time every Friday. So it, we're working on – I don't think we're there yet. Um, certainly, we don't have 50-50 of inbounds. And, you know, to give you another idea as well, we've just been hiring for two investment associates. of the applications were from guys. Even after Phil Moore and I went out there loud and broadcast saying, we really want more women to apply for this, still 75% guys. The trouble is guys will actually apply for anything whether they qualify or not women on the other hand will look at the 25 criteria and say ah oh, I don't fit 21 or 22 yeah
1: which um, is why you have to make sure that it, you have the wording to, around that yeah yeah
2: and in fact we've sort of done that a few times where we've said you know what if you don't think you fit all 25 of those criteria reach out to me DM me and we have actually fast tracked through a few through that maybe didn't fit that criteria but had a whole bunch of other special talents. So. All
0: right. There's another side to this which was pointed up in TechCrunch recently. They said that in 2021, basically, one in seven board seats were held by women. And you know, if you're a woman on a board, chances are 58% of them are the only woman on a board. And this is something where a venture fund, an investor can materially say, make sure that you have some sort of gender equity on the board. So how do we, and I mean, you know, you take a look at the ASX-10, the ASX-200, it's horrible, right? I mean, it's better than it was, but it's still horrible. How do you as investors... Put your finger on the scales around that. Oh, we, we did this
2: really early. I'm sorry, do you want to
1: go? I, I mean, I invest really early. I And while some of my portfolio companies aren't super gender diverse at the very early stages, I make it very clear that that needs to change as they grow. I mean, if it's, it's two people, two co-founders, you know, I'm not going to force them to get a third co-founder, yeah. but as they grow, that that absolutely needs to be a priority. And like as a female myself, I, I have a network and I have been building a network of really amazing female angels to bring into my community of people that I can say, like, when my and do you founders them, come to me. Do you me,
0: get them onto boards when they, that's when they the come? That's the
1: plan. Yeah. I, you know, I, if somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, we're looking for a female angel, I'm like, great. Here's my 50 of them. Yeah. Take your pick. Who do you want introductions to? If They're like, we're looking for a female board advisor. Great. Here's my 100 of them. How, like, how can I help? Like, we need to be filtering them through. So I'm building up a network to filter them to the right places.
2: So uh, I'll I'll just add to that. I mean, our founder um, uh, mix was traditionally higher than what the industry average was and has been since sort of early inception. Um, One of the things we did was bake into our paperwork, into our deal docs, our our agreements, um, was that they would um, commit to ensure that they have women represented and minorities represented as part of their hiring process for any senior roles, including directorships. And that sort of forces a process that says, we didn't get any women applicants. We actually have to do something about that and we have to resolve that and we have to try to get, you know, the, get the funnel balanced because if you can get the funnel balance, the final outcome is going to be a good outcome. Yeah. If you can't get the funnel balanced, you, you're broken at the start, right? All right. Let's end on but I think both an up and
0: a down note. I want to actually take a look at both ends of the scale. So Matt Kotler is the person who sells the ads for me, who gets the sponsors. He's he's He works thank for launch. Matt. Thank you, Matt. Works for launch, works for Jason Calacanis in California. Last year, when we were setting things up, he's like, Mark, I've, I've, there's this startup called Linktree I think you should talk to and get on the show. And I looked at them. And I'm like, oh, social media, really? And I just gave it a pass. I was like, oh, thank you, Matt. I didn't do anything about it. And they're Australia's last next
2: unicorn,
0: right? Because social media is still... A huge...
2: Are you calling that a miss? Was that a miss? Were you ever going to be an angel investor in that? Or yeah. No, no, no. Well, being, it wasn't
0: about being an investor. Uh, it was just having them on the show, right? right? You thought they were going to be really interesting. It's like, yeah, social media. I'm
1: sure they'd probably still come on the show.
0: Well, anyway, they're, they're, they're unicorns now. So what, what are the secrets to Linktree's success, particularly in a market where, which we think of social media, we think of that as being
1: mature, I mean, like, I don't. Do you see Linktree as social? I don't see Linktree as social media. I, I see that as a business tool. Uh, but, like, it, I think the value of that one is that it's so simple. Simple. <laughs> it's so <laughs> simple and yet provides value in a really clear way. Like, anything like that, I'm like, yes, shut up and take my money.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think you put the the on the head. It is simple, super super simple to look at and, and operate and get everything in the one spot about that person. Um, yeah, I mean, product market fit, obviously. All right. And then on the other side, overnight
0: fast, oh. failed. Oh,
2: Dominic. I'm sorry for Dominic.
0: Yeah, and uh, look, you know, he made it. He was on the rich list last year, and he is now. So, and, and should we go, well, you know, that's a startup. Yeah. Startups, sometimes they you shoot big and you miss big, or is there more here to, than that?
1: I mean, personally, I don't think so. Obviously, I'm not super close to the story and or him personally, but, I mean, that like we should, funds and people making a big deal of this, like, we should be encouraging founders to go big. And, yeah, I'm the question coming up of, like, well, how did they spend $100 million in 12 months? Look at salaries. You, like, you average out, what, they had 600 people, 250000 a pop. Like, that's $150 million right there. That's how. Uh, look, I'm, I
2: I have a lot of empathy for Dom and his team. Um, Dom actually um, spoke to me before he launched that company, and we had an option to get in there, but it just wasn't in our, um, uh, <clears throat> what do you call it, in our mandate. And so... Um, Look, I I think he played a fantastic game and maybe just got a bit ahead of his skis on the spend rate. Um, You know, yeah, I mean, it it happens, especially in a frothy environment where lots of money has been thrown around. Um, Yeah. Important to sort of have maybe a board that maybe keeps a little bit of a check on some of that. And, you know, the other thing, though, too, is that the funding markets change in that space. That later stage has changed materially in the last three months, so... Three months ago, we might have had another round away. You know, we might not have.
0: All right, so the whole theme of Series 10 this year is world-changing. There are startups that go from zero to one, and when they do that, they make the world a better place. So I want both of you, if you can, from the startups that cross your desk or even just cross your mind, can you tell me about one startup that you know of that fits that bill? Let me begin with you,
2: Um, So we've got 40, but let's pick one or two. Um, I think one that's super interesting that could potentially change the world, uh, Samsara, um, which is basically a synthetic biology company that can recycle plastics back to their base monomers, which means, you know, fairly well, a mixed bale of plastic can be recycled back to the original components. Which is basically not possible any other way. It's currently not really possible. Um, And then... Uh, I'm going to throw an extra one in, sorry. Um, Amber has materially changed the way I use electricity, and everybody I speak to uses electricity. I think I
0: was customer number five. Well, if there I'm you not are. Sure. It's Cause, you. Well, wow, you Because Matt Allen said, hey, these guys started this electric company. Yeah, Can you yeah. give them a war? So
2: <laughs> they have materially changed, and, and I can't give you the exact number, but it's tens of thousands of customers, the way that they're using electricity. Mm. And I think more than any other sort of eco startup in Australia, they've probably impacted more people in that
1: way. Um, how do I follow that? Like plastic and electricity? <laughs> uh, look, one of my portfolio companies, super exciting company, uh, female founder, but actually tackling the issue of talent. Uh, and I was never really interested in ed tech, but I started thinking, well, you know, I'm investing in all these B2B SaaS companies they're gonna need to grow, they're gonna need talent. We as a country are gonna need 600,000 more tech talent in the next three years than we are already putting out. Where is that gonna come from? Um, so this company, Hex, they do a professional gap year for high school leavers. So uh, students that are leaving high school and want to explore different careers aren't super clear on you know is it university, is it TAFE, is it I start my own company, is it I go travel Europe for half a year. I, they they want to be able to explore what those options are, and giving them an option to do so while educating them on the tech space, but also not letting them uh, risk their academic careers because the professional gap year offered by Hex is uh, aligned to university credit. So if they do decide to universe to go to university, then they can still get the credit for that. So it gives them that kind of safety net to explore, and if they want to go and you know. Join Google after that because uh, they're also looking to make it accredited towards like something like Google's six-month um, thing as well. So I think they're going to change the world in terms of uh, – That's awesome. We need yes. more talent. Yes. So, yeah. Please, please. <laughs> yeah. no, it's it's yes. building,
0: building the national funnel. Yeah. Right? It absolutely is. All right. Cheryl, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the very first news special for this week in Startups Australia Series 10.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, Cheryl. It was awesome. Thank you.
0: Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user-testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user-testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast, in real time, at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not, so you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result? You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com twista. User testing, real human insight. Thanks to Twista sponsors Zendesk, Our Crowd, and User Testing. Big thanks to Cheryl Mack and Rescue Mike Nichols for making the time to come on to our show. More big thanks to Murray Herps and Bluebell Ray and the whole team at UTS Startups who have graciously lent us the studio facilities where we recorded this episode. Learn all about them at startups.uts.edu.au. This show was written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. We'll be back after our Easter break with the second half of our amazing interview with Mr. Angel, Jason Calacanis. That's coming up in a fortnight. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.